If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, please send our co-director, Sarah Stenson, an email or visit us at lutherhouseofstudy.org. You can find Sarah's email in the show notes. Also, we would like to say a special thank you to Angel Scott for sponsoring this week's episode. Yeah, and so this is why people are having identity crises. It's because they're trying to become something they're not, as opposed to hearing what God said. I made you my beloved. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Scripture First, the podcast that explores how the Lutheran lectionary is working in your life. I'm your host, Mason Van Essen. For this week's lectionary text, we're dropped in the middle of Jesus praying directly to God. As you'll hear both of Luther House of Studies co-directors, Sarah Stenson and Dr. Chris Krogan, explain, there are some remarkable promises to hear as we have the privilege of listening in on a conversation between God. The first promise we discuss in this passage is what it means for us that God has made his name known to us. His name is mercy. And knowing what God thinks of us completely transforms the promise Jesus delivers. The second promise we hear in this passage is that God is glorified in us. Adam Carey and I asked Sarah and Dr. Krogan how God can be glorified in us when we commonly hear that we are glorified in Him. The third promise we talk about is Jesus asking God to make us one. Sarah and Dr. Krogan explain that making us one is not the same idea as the popular coexist bumper stickers. They explain that the message of the coexist bumper stickers is that the best way through life is can't we all just get along? They explain that that approach doesn't end up helping your neighbor, that it's actually a selfish enterprise where at the end of the day, you're only looking out for yourself. Instead, when Jesus asks God to make us one, he's praying that we will be preserved in his promise, his promise of mercy. With that promise in our ear, we can go forward and pour out our lives for our neighbors. And with that, let's get into this week's conversation. Here's John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave me I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on the behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except the one destined to be lost so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself so that they also may be sanctified in truth. And now on to this week's conversation. Welcome back to Scripture First. We have both of our co-directors here with us this week. Welcome, Chris and Sarah. Thank yeah, you. nice to have Thank you guys you. here. It's good to be here. Okay, so kick us off. Um, we were talking about... We were ta- we were reading through this before, and I'm, like my mind was going probably like a mile a minute. I mean, this is just... It felt like it was just so much repetition, so convoluted. Like, it was hard to follow. Right. I mean... I can see why some people say that the Bible is only for enlightened people because of verses like this, where it's just after you finished reading, you're like, I need to go watch like a reality television yeah, show or something because yeah. I don't know what's it, going you know, on. It's one word after another, and you're trying to put that word in context yeah, of the previous exactly. word, which is, goes to the next word. Yeah. And, and it is, it's, it's, it's like, it's kind of like a poem you're trying to parse out. What does that mean? Nothing's really clearly defined. Yeah, exactly. So yep, can, I get it. I, I mean, and so let's just, can we just start at the beginning? Yeah, um, we're actually going to start before the beginning. Oh, we're actually going to start in verses one through five. I um, need that. And this is what is commonly known as the high priestly prayer. And the reason we need to go back there is because Jesus says in this prayer, he lifts his eyes to heaven and he says, Father, the hour has come to glorify your son so the son may glorify you. And then he talks about how God has handed everything over in creation to him so that he, Jesus, can provide eternal life. And so what is happening here is Jesus is starting to say, this is who you are, God. You're the one that gives me everything that is yours and that everything is eternal life. And then he goes on, he says, I've glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And what was the work Jesus came to do? to take on the sin of the world, own it, die to it, absolve it, and be raised to new life. So God, what we're going to get in verse 6 is, I have manifested your name or I have made your your name name known known to the people. And so this is what the name was, which is God is giver, God is hesed, God, God is mercy, God is forgiveness. As opposed to God is what we would commonly think of what Moses came and brought, which was the law, mm-hmm. commandment, expectation, lookout, wrath, that kind of stuff. So this is the name that is known of the Father, which is mercy. And so that's that's kind of the context here. And that helps us start to get through what's going on in the rest of the... I think the other thing that's really helpful in this... Um, text is to remember that Jesus is, we're listening in on Jesus' prayer to his Father, to God the Father, because um, I think that's the other reason this can get a little bit 
uh, convoluted, as you said, Carrie, and it's kind of hard to keep track of because it's kind of like we're listening in on a conversation. Well, we are actually. God talking to God. Yes. Mm-hmm. Which and can get a little convoluted, huh? It, we, should yeah. feel, we should feel honored. <laughs> and there are a lot of pronouns like they and yours and like who's who's who here. Mm-hmm. Um, so even as we go on into the um, rest of verse six and into seven, they were yours, you gave them to me, they have kept your word, now they know everything you've given me is from you. I mean, that it, that can be very confusing to listen to or to read either way. But it boils down to Jesus is praying to God the Father about his disciples, the believers, the people who are who have faith in Christ and who know now that God's name is mercy giver, as Chris was just saying. Um, so they know that everything um, they've received from Christ and everything they know about Christ is actually also been revealed for, about God the Father. So that's really what's happening in those first um, two verses in this text. So it's verse six and seven, and even in eight, the words you gave me, I've given to them. So they believed that you sent me, and that's key in verse eight, that the people who have heard Jesus, the sheep who hear his voice, as we hear elsewhere, they have believed, they know, these apostles know, the people of faith know that God sent Jesus to them. And another key piece in this is um, not only God sent Jesus, God gave us over to Jesus. Yep. Which, remember last week's text, you did not choose me, I chose you. Here's another instance. God the Father elected people to believe in Jesus. That's, That's verse 6. Verse 6, yep. which is really important and so that you know it's God doing this so that this is when the name of God is known to them because God revealed it to them and yeah. through Jesus. So and this verse, is what's going on. Verse 6, he does say twice, and again, speaking to God the Father, um, those whom you gave me, God, from the world, they were yours and you gave them to me. So that is, Chris is exactly right, that is the same thing as I did not, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Yeah, it's exactly it, I mean, the same it's, idea. Uh, we're getting a glimpse of uh, how God works all in all. There's, yes. there's no other way you can actually put this. He's saying, uh, you gave me these people, God. Uh, I told them your word, which you also gave me. Yep. Um, they've kept this word, or they've guarded this word. Yeah, see, that's another piece, is because in the English here in this NRSV translation, kept. And a lot of people are going to go back to, Oh, it's our responsibility because yep. mm-hmm. I keep something. It's it's a cherish. It's mm-hmm. a hold on to. It's a preserve. So the reason you preserve something is because it's so valuable to you. You literally can't help but throw everything away just to keep that thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's this it's this like so extremely important to you. It's the family heirloom. Nothing's going to happen. It's going to be when you run out of the house because the house is on fire, that's what you're grabbing and taking with. Everything else can go. Mm-hmm. That's what kept meant. It's not that you're kind of in a, I'm going to keep the word. I'm going to follow the recipe. I'm going to make sure. No, it's just this cherish. It's an emancipation moment for you, and you're not going to let it Which go. Which is an interesting little Greek thing here. All the way through these verses for this week, 
you see the same Greek word except one, I believe, which is verse 12, um, which is philoso. Everywhere else, it's going to, when you see keep or protect, 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 it's the same word as, uh, which is tereo in the Greek, which is watch over, guard, preserve, protect. Um, so it's an interesting thing that some of these translations in verse 6 translate that exact same word into keep or kept your word instead of protect, guard, watch over, preserve, cherish, any of those other things. But it, mm-hmm. but in verse 6, it's the same word just translated differently. Uh, so we all, we kind of went to the, the edge of verse 9, but we didn't quite get there. Um, and, and Christ is speaking again to the Father, of course. I'm asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me because they're yours. Uh, what this is, I mean, this strikes me as an interesting thing to say. He's, he's making a distinction. He says, I'm not asking on behalf of the world. Yeah. This is actually go, goes dovetails perfectly with what we were talking about earlier in the, um, the election is the theological word for it, that not all are, are sheep who hear the shepherd's voice. Jesus all isn't Israel choosing is all. This is not, I am not asking on behalf of the world. This is not universalism. This is, I'm asking on their behalf, the ones God gave to Jesus to have his true name of mercy giver. So um, it's this is the same thing now in verse 9. I'm asking on behalf of those sheep who hear my voice, the ones God gave me, I'm not asking on behalf of the world. Not This is not an abstraction at all. This is a very specific, particular word of, I choose you. And those are the ones Jesus is asking about or talking about here. All Okay, so in verse 10, it says, All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. You were kind of talking about earlier all the different all the different ways of saying different people. And this is one of those spots. What is that saying here? All yours are mine and mine are, all mine are yours and yours are mine. And I have been glorified in them. How is he being glorified in them? I feel like normally it's the other way around. We're glorified in him, right? So the way you are, the way Jesus is glorified is God made a promise to sinners. That would be Adam and Eve that sin would not be their final identity, that the Christ is going to crush the serpent's head. So how is Jesus glorified? Because now God is fulfilling that promise with Jesus here on earth in the flesh. The word became flesh. That promise that was given in the garden, the promise that was given to Abraham, the promise that was David, the stump of Jesse, all that now is in the flesh. Remember, this is John. The word became flesh Okay, so now all of that is the glorifying of Jesus because God is saying, see, I did not lie. Mm-hmm. I have fulfilled this. And the way he's fulfilling it is he's going to now go and take on the sin of the world through the cross, die, defeat it, be raised, and forgive his betrayers. Mm-hmm. So that's all the people that you gave that promise to way back, Israel, the original God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all that is coming to fruition right here 
those people that you gave the promise to who believed it, kept carrying that promise forward until I arrived, they are mine. You gave them to me. Now I'm glorifying it. It's really interesting because as it continues into verse 11, and he says, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. It, it really sounds like a plea. Like, it honestly, it sounds like something that we would pray to him. Just in in how personal it is. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, like when you have a loved one who is dying and there's no hope or something like that, that's the sort of thing that you're going like that's the sort of prayer that we are praying. Mm-hmm. That's actually a really good insight, Kiri. Um, it is really personal, and this is just before Judas betrays Jesus and Jesus is crucified, and he knows that's what's about to happen. So it is actually almost Jesus' own deathbed, and he knows it. And so it's extremely personal. And when he says. Um, protect them. It's that same same Greek word, tereo, their guard, watch over, guard them in your name um, so that they may be one as we are one. So that unity Jesus is talking about there, they may be one, is actually in the gospel. It's in faith, not in the law. He's not saying um, make their lives better, you know, um, make the world, but he's actually saying, keep them in faith. That's where and how they will be unified, faith in Christ specifically. So a lot of people, when they, when they read this, they'll say, okay, let's make sure everybody's one, right? And and you'll see it on the bumper uh, sticker, coexist. Yeah, exactly. That's what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. But that's not at, at all what Jesus is saying, it, because that would be your one in the law that you agree to disagree or you don't make a stance that says categorically, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So this is exactly why he's not, say, he's not saying it the way most people want to do is, okay, let's just, everybody just get along. No. Be tolerant. Be tolerant. Nope. Accept people for their own opinions. No. Jesus is saying protect them. That is preserve them. That is, again, if they're so precious in your name that you have given me. And there's that mercy. So preserve them in their mercy because they are going to feel their own sin as they watch me die. So don't let anything get at their conscience as I go through this sin that somehow drives them away. And keep us all together in that mercy word that in wrath you remember mercy. Keep them together in the forgiveness. And this is why Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. That's the unity, is that you actually are forgiven and then dole it out. You do the very thing that the Father was sent the Son to do. And he also knows, he knows what's about to happen in their own conscience as every one of them will betray Christ. They will betray him. But he also knows, and you see it in verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Well, Jesus knows not only has the world hated them, the world is going to continue to hate them and 
others, those of us now who have faith and who preach this word boldly, this does not create unity in the law. It actually, this is why Jesus says, I did not come to unite, I came to divide. So a a bumper sticker like coexist is actually a very selfish enterprise. Because coexist is to say, hey, let's not, um, let's self-preserve each other. Mm -hmm. It's not about giving yourself over to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Coexisting, it's like, you know, let's make sure everybody, you know, and so that's that's the worldly Let's instinct. Make sure we're both able to thrive. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. the worldly instinct yeah. is to, um, you know, every. But it really is everybody for themselves. Literally, that's what coexisting is. Ironically, it's not. It's not. So this is why people. In other hate words, you. it's not sacrificing yourself for the benefit of someone else. No. It's a calculation in the law that I'm best way out for me. Best way through this life is if. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah. Instead of when you have faith in Christ and Hesed, mercy, God is a giver, you actually aren't trying to um, make things even in the law or get people to like you. Uh uh-uh. uh. You. It's. It's actually worse than that. You don't care if you get your fair share you actually just pour your life out for everyone else. And so there is no calculation of benefit for you. It's the opposite. Yeah, it's not a, it's not coexist. It's a, I have already died to the law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It's, not, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives. There's no uh, element right. of coexisting because you've already, you've been put to death. Yep. There's, uh, you, and then finally you have unity in the uh, the new Adam or this new, this new person, but in Christ, not in a, a and, law. And when you've given been given an emancipation from self-preservation, that is to say, thinking about yourself, when you have this emancipation, which is why your trail, you're keeping this word mm-hmm. of freedom, of literally mercy, no one has levers and pulleys on you when you're free. And so this is why the world hates you is if they can't actually manipulate you in the law and get you, this is part of what we experience right now in much of our society, is people want to claim like they're a victim. Why? Because then they have power over you. Mm -hmm. And if they can't show how bad you are at the law, they can't manipulate you. Mm -hmm. So when someone is walking around in the life of freedom in Christ, which is sin is not my identity anymore, they literally can't manipulate you by saying, you're bad at the law, so I can tell you now what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what is happening here, which is why the, the world will hate Christ because he doesn't give them levers and pulleys in the law. You can't manipulate Christ. You, can't, you can't manipulate will, faith. You right, manipulate and the world a, will hate those Christian. who live in faith. Exactly. Yeah. So that next verse, 15, I am not asking you, Jesus says, to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. So when Jesus says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, um, Jesus wasn't saying then, and we're not saying now, that when you have faith, um, you don't care about the lives of other people. It's, as I said earlier, it's the opposite. You pour your life out for other people without calculation. You're not worried about getting your share. You're actually worried about making sure everyone else has what they need. Mm-hmm. It, there is no calculation in the law. And that's what it means, actually, to be a free Christian. Your mm-hmm. identity is in Christ, not in your status in the law as victim or perpetrator or anything else. It's literally in Christ. 
But it's key that Jesus says, I ask you to God, protect them from the evil one. That's Satan. And we know the only um, tool the devil has is to make us doubt God. Did God really say from Genesis 3? So you doubt is, his mercy. You exactly. Doubt his generosity. He's actually praying now to God to keep us now who are hearing this um, prayer of Jesus, who have this promise of faith in Christ in our hearts and our ear. He's praying to God, which is what we pray as well. Protect them. Protect us from the evil one, from doubt, from unbelief. Keep Christ in our ear so that, as we talked about last week, we actually will obey the Ten Commandments. We will love the neighbor as ourselves. We will pour our life out for everyone in our path. And that's part of what is moving on then as we get to the last couple of verses, verses 17 and 18. The big word is sanctify. And a lot of people understand sanctify is make holier, right? And a lot of people, when they're thinking making holier, they're trying to say, make me into something that I'm not. Make me better than what I once was. That's Aristotelian ethics moving you from vice to virtue. That's what a lot of people think sanctify is. That's not at all what the biblical understanding of sanctify. It's not the Jewish understanding that Jesus is using here. To be sanctified is actually to be made to do what you God created you to do. So just listen to this short phrase here, sanctify them in the truth. That is to say, give them the truth. What's the truth? That God's name is gift. God's name is giver. God's name is mercy. And when you have that, you are free from trying to make the world a better place, from self-preservation. And so you're now sanctified to be a human again. So when you recognize that your daily bread and mercy is yours from Jesus, you're no longer trying to become something you're not. Mm -hmm. You are made comfortable in your own skin again. So you get to be the full creature God made you to be, as opposed to trying to be something, moving yourself from vice to virtue. So or look, trying to be the author or creator of your own self, or trying to be a machine. I mean, a machine. Trying I, to establish your own identity, even. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is why people are having identity crises, is because they're trying to become something they're not, as opposed to hearing what God said, I made you my beloved. Mm. And they're like, no, I don't like the way you made me. So then they end up not sanctified. They end up cursed at that moment in time. But the key here then is in the truth, they get to be sanctified. Then they're put back into the world to live for the sake of what God created them to do, which is just go ahead and have dominion, be in the world, but you're not of the world. You're not self-preserving. You're not selfish. So it's not that Jesus is ever going to extract you from the world. He's going to free you to be the human he created you to be with his word of truth, with his gift. Which is right there. Um, the other word that comes up a lot in 17, 18, 19 is truth, sanctified in the truth. And he tells us, he defines it, your word is truth. Mm -hmm. So the word of God is truth, and that is how we are sanctified, is actually keeping Christ in our ear and Christ's identity in our conscience, which does free us to be the creature God created us to be. Yep, and so then 19 is just, I think, wonderful capstone. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. So now, so if, if, if humans are sanctified by being human, Jesus is now going to be sanctified 
by being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how does he do that? He takes on our sin, he's going to die to it, he's going to own it in his flesh, and then he's going to absolve it. So what was Christ, the mercy seat, sent for? To be merciful. So what is he going to do? Crush the serpent's head. He's going to literally conquer sin, death, and the devil. So, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified, that is, freed to be humans again, comfortable in their own skin. And so this is what Jesus says, your name, which is mercy giver, I'm now going to show them that your final word over them is truth, which is your mercy. You're going to make new life. And on that note, we've reached the end of this week's episode, my friends. Thank you to Sarah Stenson and Dr. Chris Krogan for teaching us that knowing that God's name is mercy is the opposite of what the Coexist bumper sticker is claiming. Instead of strictly looking out for yourself by just getting along with everyone, God gives us the same radical promise he gave Adam and Eve in the garden, that sin doesn't have the final word over us because he is mercy. Now, we're not going to look to see if we got our fair share. Instead, God's mercy makes us free. We can now pour our lives out for our neighbors to make sure they have what they need because we've already died to the law. As you heard at the beginning of the episode, if you or your congregation is interested in sponsoring an episode of Scripture First, we'd appreciate it if you'd connect with our co-director, Sarah Stenson, by sending her an email at s-s-t-e-n-s-o-n at augie.edu. You can find her email in the show notes or find more information at lutherhouseofstudy.org. Additionally, if you'd like to support us in a different way, we'd really appreciate it if you'd give us a five-star rating or follow our Facebook page at Luther House of Study. We really appreciate it. Thanks again for joining us this week. Remember, God's promise of mercy is for you. We'll see you next time on Scripture First.